Amen, amen, amen. There we go. You can grab a seat, grab a seat, church. We're doing good tonight. Looking good tonight. Come on, who's, who feels like they're looking good? Come on, own it, own it. Sometimes you just got to own that and just go, I, I look good tonight. And so well done on you. Well done on you for turning up looking like that. Well done. Uh, but tonight, hey, uh, like, like it's been mentioned already a few times tonight, but we just come off the back of, of what is an incredible week. But for, for a few moments before I get into the message, I just want to talk about Revolution Tour just, just for a moment because uh, this whole week we've kind of been uh, in schools. If you don't know what Revolution Tour is, it's uh, for, I think I'm involved seven years now uh, on the road with the teams. I think we've been going 13 years all up. But each and every year, the, the teams go into high schools all throughout our country just bringing a message of life and hope. Uh, just speaking a message of, of encouragement and you can do it and, and, and you can make it and, and there's a better day ahead for you. And, and sometimes it's kind of like, because the message is a bit, you know, obviously we're speaking in secular schools, so it's just a message of encouragement. But what always gets me is, is how foreign hope is to this generation. Just how foreign a, a message of encouragement is to, to a generation. And really, uh, just a couple of stories from this week. We're uh, in a school out uh, West Auckland, uh, just doing a lunchtime program. It wasn't even assembly. It was just a lunchtime program. And, and Reggie's doing his thing, playing the saxophone. I was doing my thing, standing on the side, um, doing nothing. Uh, but, but Reggie's doing his thing. And I'm kind of just looking out. And, and, and just as he starts talking, and so he does his message around, you can make it, don't give up. You can make it, don't give up up no matter how hard it gets there's always a better day and there's a girl sitting on the front row and she kind of leans forward so her friends can't see her and her whole, she just breaks down and there's just tears she's just crying just crying 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 and then afterwards she comes straight up to Leela after the after the program and just is talking to Leela and she goes yeah, I'm only year 10 but this is already the 10th school I've had to move to because my whole school life all I've been is bullied but today told me to not give up, so I'm not going to give up. Today told me that there's a better day tomorrow, so I'm going to keep on going. I've been through 10 schools, but, but if I hold on, I know it can get better. And I just sat in the moment and went, man, that's why we do it. That's why we do it. Uh, we were... We were at another school, and, and once again, Reggie was on stage doing his thing. I was on the side doing my thing, uh, watching him. Uh, and I was just, just again, just, just sitting there, and Reggie's doing his thing. And he did this thing where he, he says, turn to your neighbor uh, and just say, I've got your back. And I'm not going to try and reenact that because I'm a bit too white uh, to wrap it out for you. Uh, but he does this thing where kids have to turn to their friend. And it came to the end of a 40-minute assembly program, and I'm sitting there, and, and I'm just watching the kids and interact and and this girl's sitting like in front of another girl in the row and and she's been kind of laughing with her friends and doing stuff with her friends the whole whole program and when Reggie said turn to your neighbor all she did was instantly she turned around and looked at a girl in the face and said I'm sorry and the girl just broke down that in that moment something snapped inside that young person's life to turn around and say I'm sorry I've got to change how I've been treating you and that's the power of what God can do. That's the power of even though we don't talk about Jesus, just the Holy Spirit working. So can I encourage you this, this week, team? We've still got one more week to go. Can I encourage you? Come on, pray with us. Come on, there's a generation that needs the message of hope, needs the message to know that you can make a difference. I believe all of us need a little bit more hope in our life. All of us just need a little bit more encouragement. But can you partner with us in praying? Praying that God would move. Come on, praying for more 
more testimonies of kids saying, I was going to give up, but I know tomorrow's going to get better. Come on, isn't that significant in Jesus' name? But tonight, I want, I want to talk to you about, a, I want to look at a passage tonight uh, in Scripture. And this passage is picked up in Matthew 8. Uh, and we're just going to dive straight in in verse 5 to 10. And I just want to read this out to you tonight. It will be on the screen if you've got your Bibles, jump there. But in Matthew uh, 5, we, it's an account when Jesus has an experience uh, with a centurion man. And it says this, when Jesus entered the city, a centurion man came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering, suffering and uh, in terrible pain. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? The centurion man replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word. Everyone just say, just say the word. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself and a man under authority with soldiers under me, I tell this one to go, and this one goes. I tell that one to come, and he comes. I say to my servant, do this, and he does that. Jesus heard this man, and he was amazed and said to the fo those following him, truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the concept, the, the idea, the fact that, like the heart of this man that just said, all I need is a word. All I need is a word. If all I got is a word from Jesus, that's all I need. If all I got is a word that tomorrow's gonna be better, that's all I need. Tonight, I'll, I wanna talk to you about the power of the word. The power of a word. And so, can we pray tonight, team? God, we pray tonight, Lord, as, Lord, we look at your word, I pray. Lord, as we look into it, God, that it would encourage us, it would sharpen us, it would strengthen us, it would lift our heads. God, I, I pray as we look to your word, Lord, it would come underneath us, Lord, and even lift our minds and lift our thinking to see how you see, to think how you think. So come and speak to us tonight, Jesus. In the mighty name of God, everyone said, amen, amen. Uh, have, have you ever... Any, you ever caught a flight? Anyone caught a flight in the room tonight? This is a pretty generic question, pretty safe one. Uh, I remember uh, a couple months ago catching a flight. Have you ever got up in the morning and just had like one of those days when like the big picture of life is good, but like everything little goes wrong? And so like the big picture of life is all good. You got nothing to complain about. But like you get up in the middle and there's like no toothpaste left in the tube or you go to put toast in the fridge and there's just like one piece of crust left. You know, like just, just like you get in the car and it's on E. You know, just like one of those days where it's just like life is so hard. You know, like the big picture, everything's good, but it's the little stuff that can get you. Uh, I remember the other day uh, I was catching a flight down to Wellington. Uh, and I got, got up in the morning, uh, and I get to the airport. Now, I, I'm going to be honest, and I'm not one of those pastors that kind of like, I'm not about the whole airplane conversation deal, right? I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm, I, when I'm on a plane, it's kind of like me time. And so I, I kind of have a rule that I get to the, the, the thing early so I can get on the plane early and get headphones in my ear as quick as I can uh, before someone sits next to me and I have to do the whole conversation thing. Uh, and so I find myself uh, on the plane, and, and I get there, and, I, I, and just forgive me, team. I thought this was safe, though. I thought I'd share it. God's working on me. Uh, pray for me. But, but what I've, I found myself on the plane. And so I generally, when I sit on a plane, I, I grab my headphones out. I put my headphones in the end. And so then I, I went to play some music on my phone. I just thought I'd do a bit of reading. And then I looked. My phone was on 2%. And then instantly it dies. And I'm like, dang it. And so, so I, I reach up and I get my iPad. Because I'm like, I've always got a backup. Open up my iPad. It's dead. 
And then, I, and then I'm like, I've got one last opportunity. I've got my laptop. And so I pull out my laptop, open it up, and it was on 5%. I was like, come on, let it last in Jesus' name. It's like five loaves and two fish in Jesus' name work right now. And, and, I, and I was in my laptop, and, and like before even the safety video came on, it was dead. And so I just had to pull my headphones out, and I kind of looked at the person next to me. I'm like, hey. How's it going? <laughs> and I was just like, well, you know, it's just like sitting on the plane with nothing to do. It's like, it's hard. It's like, I just, like, I, I can't sit still at the best of times, so I kind of need entertainment. And so I'm like, I've got a whole hour of just sitting here. Like, people don't get how hard it is in the 21st century. Like, air conditioning on a plane where they bring food to you, but my iPod is dead. Uh, and, and so I, I find myself sitting there. And then if you've been on in New Zealand, these screens pop down and a quiz comes up. So I'm like, the quiz is going to get me through. Uh, and questions are rolling through and, 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 and questions. And then it comes to a series of science questions. Now in school, English, me and English, we didn't get along too well. Like social studies, we didn't do too good. Uh, but me and science, we got along well. All right, so me and science in, in high school, I, I, I got it, I understood it. And so a series of science questions came up, and in my mind, I'm like, I got this, I got this. And, and they start reading it. And, and have you ever had a question, like, come up in a quiz, and it, like, pops up, and you're like, I know that answer. Like, I know I know it, I just don't know it right now. Like, have you ever had that feeling when you're like, I kind of, I, I know, I know I know that. I remember hearing someone once talk about that thing once upon a time, but just in this moment, I don't know it. You ever had that feeling, team? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I, I kind of got thinking the other day about this, and I think sometimes even when it comes to the Word of God, we're in danger of having the same feeling. Like even when it comes to the Word of God, it's like, no, I, I, I know someone's talked about something at some time that has something to do with this. I just don't know it in this moment. And we can find ourselves grasping, but I look at this centurion man, and it gets me questioning, what did he get about the Word? That it wasn't just something he's like, oh, it's something I know about. There's this couple of scriptures there up on my wall every now and again. Every now and again, a wallpaper pops up on my phone. Or when I'm scrolling through Instagram, I see someone preaching about something. But he said, no, the word is my everything. I don't need anything else. I just need the word. It got me asking the question, what did this man get? Because I pray we're not going to be a generation of Christians that just go, no, I know the word says something about something. Sometime it said something. But a generation that knows what it means to get a hold of a word and say this word has the power to break through. This word has the power to push out. This word has the power to change my situation. What did he get about the word? And he said, oh, all I need is a word. You don't need to come, Jesus. I get you're powerful. But more than that, I get your authority. And I get the authority that's in your word. So if we look back at the text, First of all, it's a, the Bible describes him as a centurion man. If you don't know what that is, it, he's a Roman officer. So he has status in the Roman Empire. At this time, the, Rome, the Roman Empire was over the Jews at the time. And so, so for, for a, a Roman uh, officer to come to a Jew, it meant there had to be something take place in his heart where he recognized not just the fact Jesus was a Jew, but he recognized the fact that Jesus had power on his life. And, and so the uh, commentaries talk about for, for this man to go to Jesus, it took great humility. For, for a Roman officer to come before Jesus and not only come before him, but address him as Lord. 
I need your help. It took great humility for him to, to put himself before Jesus and recognize the fact that I've been to so many doctors and, and I've had so many reports and, and nothing's going my way, but, but I recognize there's something about that Jesus that if I, if, I, if, I, if I had the ability to humble myself, I go, Jesus, I don't know what to do, but I know you do. And the, 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 the commentaries say it, it took great humility. It took great humility to, for him to see Jesus for who Jesus was. More than the Jews, for a Roman to see Jesus as Lord. It took him a great humility, and, but, but I believe it was, it was because of his humility, he was able to access something no one had yet accessed. It was because of his position of humility, he was able to get Jesus to do something no one had yet accessed from Jesus before because he humbled himself and in humbling himself his eyes were open to what Jesus could do and when he humbled himself in his situation his eyes were, were, were open to the help Jesus could bring and I think even with our lives sometimes we've got, we got to be ensured that we remain humble in our position before God because in our humility we can see his strength. In our humility we can lean on his power. It's in our humility that we can access his authority. But it takes a humble person to sit before Jesus and go, I don't know what to do here. I don't know what to do here. And so he approached him with a humility in his heart. But the response of Jesus, it gets me because he says, I shall I come hear him. You see, up until this moment, whenever anyone approached Jesus for healing, they were asking him to come and lay hands or come and be in the vicinity. And so this man approaches Jesus and the response of Jesus is just, I should have come. Like, because that's the experience everyone's kind of familiar with. Like the experience we're kind of used to is the fact that I ask Jesus, you come with me, you lay your hands or you spit in the mud and rub it in the eyes, whatever you want to do, it kind of gets weird sometimes, but you kind of do something uh, and, and an action takes place. You see, up until this moment, so Jesus is like, oh, do you want me to come? It's like kind of like you've been to Macca's, their first like for the drink, they're always like, oh, you want Coke with that? It's just like, it's just like a given. And, and often I say no, just because I don't want them to assume that's what I want, even though it's what I want. Uh, I don't want them to know that's what I want. He's like, no. Uh, and so, but I will have Coke. Uh, and so, sorry, I got a lot of personal stuff going on. So. <laughs> but Jesus asked, should I come? Should I just come? But, uh, but because of this man's humble position, you see, the Jews... At this moment, he really just encountered a majority of like Jews, Jewish believers. And so they were used to having people over them. And so they didn't really under grasp this context of authority quite like a Roman officer would. And so they grasped the concept of Jesus as my savior because they were in need of a savior. They were in need of deliverance. So they grasped this concept of there's a guy that's gonna come that has great power and he's gonna come and do stuff for us. But this officer was brought up in a different mentality where he didn't un just understand power, he also understood authority. And, and, and that if somebody with authority was to speak, then those words have that authority. 
And he would have watched the life of Jesus. He would have heard the stories that had gone around. He must have, to come to this point, he must have heard the stories. And he went, well, if he has that much power, he must have that much authority. And if, if this is the same God that could speak the world into being, his power must still be in his word to speak healing into my situation. And so he comes before Jesus uh, and recognizes something no one had yet accessed. The power of the word. No one had yet access the power of the word of Jesus. They had accessed the laying on hands. They had accessed God in the moment. But they hadn't accessed the power of the authority. And it got me wondering, how much do we access the power of the word? Like how, how, how much are we asking just Jesus come and do this, come and move for me, come and, but how much are we asking Jesus all I need is a word, Jesus all I need because a word is enough and, and this changed the game on what Jesus could do because Jesus could do it the whole time. He could do it the whole, he was just looking for someone to believe he could do it. He was just looking for someone that had faith in their heart to access it. And it got me wondering, I wonder what more God could do if we got hold of what the power of the word really does for us. I wonder what more God could do for us if we were a people that just said, Jesus, I don't need you to come here. All I need is to send your word. And I know your word has an authority. And because your word has an authority, things have to move. And there's power in the word of God. There's power in the word. You see, the, the power of somebody's word is really, or the credibility is, is really comes down to the credibility of the person. And so for my word to have credibility, I have to have credibility. You know, often we want our, what we say to have authority and credibility, but our lives don't reflect authority and credibility. So our words don't carry that same power. But God has all authority. God has all power, so his words carry the ability to access what God is in control of, what God is, has a part of him. His words have the power. And so the centurion man comes before Jesus and says, all I need is a word. I'm humble enough to admit that I'm wrong, that, that I don't deserve you. I'm humble enough to admit that, that, that there's things aren't right in my life, so I can't have you, have you come into my house. I'm, I'm humble enough to admit that fact, but I've also got enough belief in my heart that I don't need you here. I just need your word. And if you give me your word, everything's going to be okay. I, I don't know what you're going through, what you're believing for, what you're holding on to, but I can say, if you've got a word, you've got enough. If all you've got is a word to hold on to, you've got enough to hold on to if all it is is a word you got enough I think about how God created the earth it was with his word I think about how when Peter was in the boat and Jesus came walking by and Peter yells out to Jesus hey Jesus if it's you just say the word and I can come I think about how God the word of God came to Moses and said to Moses I'm going to deliver I'm going to deliver my people. And then fast forward the story, Moses finds himself between an army trying to kill him and an ocean in front of him with no way to go. But because he had a word that God was going to come through, he could get the faith in his heart to turn to God and say, God, what should I do? Because he had a word. You see, never underestimate the power of a word. If God has spoken it, 
It will come true. I, I think about Noah. Noah. Noah fascinates me in the Bible, mainly because I was a Buddha uh, before coming, uh, going to university and going to church. But Noah fascinates me because the Word of God comes to Noah uh, and, and says, hey, I'm going to establish a new covenant with you. I'm going to establish a new covenant with your family. Uh, I'm going to take care of them. And he does this whole thing, but I'm going to wipe the whole world out. But with you, Noah, my word is I'm going to establish a new covenant. All you got to do is build this massive ark. And Noah would have been like, what's an ark? What's a boat? I've never really seen one before in my life. And God's like, no, just build this thing. And gives them instructions. And so in, in chapter 6 of Genesis, God's laying out the covenant and laying out the plans. Chapter 7, the animals are entering the ark. And, and, and because I'm a, a builder, because my, my mind still thinks like that, I have a question of, of when, when did Noah actually build the ark? Because the Bible tells us to do it, and then it tells us he'd done it. And so all we get is in Genesis 6, 22, the last scripture of chapter 6, it says, Noah did everything as God commanded him. When I, when I, was, a, when I was a cabinet maker, there's two types of customers that really annoyed me. And somebody, if you ever got tradesmen in your house, this is probably going to help you out to not annoy them. The first ones that would come and ask questions about a job that you hadn't finished yet. Like you'll be putting a cabinet up and they'll walk in, oh, is there going to be doors on it? I'm like, yeah, once I screw it to the wall and put the showers on and clean it, I'll put the doors on. Or, or they'll look at, are you going to put handles there? I'm like, yes, I'm, I'm just half done. And so, the, but the, se- the second, like, is like, let the man finish his job. Uh, and, and, but the second type of person that really, really got me going was was those who would come in with a real complex plan and like you would like do all you could to pull it off like they don't realize how complex and how hard it is to actually build that thing and, and so what they do and, and you'd spend a couple of weeks just making this piece of furniture or making this cabinet and then they'd walk in to pick it up and they'll just go oh yeah it's good and then walk out and you're standing there like that was two weeks of my life I don't even get a great or an awesome. I just get, oh, you're good. And carry on. And, and I'm looking at this Bible, and it's like, build this massive ark. And then all we get is, uh, and Moses did what God commanded him to. And then the Bible carries on without it. It's like, I, I Googled. I was like, how long did it take him? They estimate it took him 75 years to build the ark. 75 years summed up with, and he did everything God commanded him to. I'm like, are you serious? Because can you imagine the 75 years? Well, I can't. I can imagine 28. But, but can, can you just let your mind kind of run a bit on 75 years? Just off a word. That God's going to establish a covenant with me and my family. And we will prosper and we will multiply and he will look after us. Like year number five. Imagine the mornings like frost out there. If you ever had to hold tools in the frost and it's like your hands are freezing, you're like cutting down trees, and you're lugging them over. And, and it's just like the Bible doesn't really paint the picture of what actually went on. The 75 years of, of, of Noah just laboring away and Noah just, but to be honest, it didn't really matter in the schemes of the Bible. All that the Bible wanted us to know is that God spoke and God completed. 
God spoke and God completed. God gave the promise and he fulfilled the promise. All the Bible tells us, the middle doesn't really matter. The middle can be hard. The middle can be tiring. The middle can kind of be at times, it's like, what am I even doing here? What is this thing I'm even building? God, what have you got me doing here? Like, everyone else just seems to be having a party. God, why am I laboring away like this? The middle can be hard. The middle can drag. But the middle's all right if you got a word. The middle's all right if you can hold on to the word. The fact that, no, God said he's going to establish my family. God made a covenant with me. God made a promise with me. So even though it's year 50, and if you've ever built a house, you realize it takes like a long time for nothing to happen, and then all of a sudden it seems like everything happens. And the hard time is when Moses was walking through the times where it was like, was this thing ever going to be completed? But I imagine there was mornings when he probably rolled over to his wife and said, I don't know if I can do another day. I don't know if I can go out and labor again. I don't know if I can go out and push again. And she goes, no, remember God said. He gave you his word, and his word has credibility. You can trust his word. You can rely on his word. You can hold on to his word. You can hold on to it. You see, the Bible describes the word in a few different ways, and it talks about how the word of God is like a double-edged sword. It talks about how the word of God is like our bread, like for man does not live Uh, on bread alone, but for every word that's spoken by the mouth of God. It it talks about it in references to like food, like nourishment. It it talks about how it has the ability to crave. But what I really love is how the Bible talks about in Isaiah uh, 55 verse 8, how how God takes us on this picture and shows us this picture of, of how Isaiah describes the word in this passage. And we just pick it up in Isaiah 55 verse 8 saying, this is God speaking. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways. That's a, that's, a, that's, a, that's a famous scripture. You might have hear, heard it. He says, declares the Lord, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher your thoughts. We'll just stop there for a second because you've got to see what God's doing. He's painting a picture like you're here, but you've got to understand my thoughts are up here. Like, you're here, but the way I'm thinking, the way I'm operating, the way I'm outworking this game plan is above you, is higher than you. The, the way I think is, is, is far above you. Uh, for us, often the, the thoughts of God, he's trying to say is, uh, my thoughts are like a mystery to you. Like they're above you. You can't understand them. And that's why we can't be surprised when God does things we don't understand. He's saying that's why you can't be surprised if God acts in a way and we don't quite get it. Because he's establishing this idea that my thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And so he establishes the fact that there is a void between us and God. There's a void between how we believe, how we act, and how we think between how God thinks about. And so he establishes this idea that there is a gap there. I believe that's not just in terms of the things we do, but it's also there's a gap between how God thinks about us and how we think about us. How God, not just, just in terms of what the plan God has for your life, but the person God called you to be. I believe often there's a, there's a void. That his, his thoughts are, are far higher about you than you even think about yourself. When he looks at you, he looks at you in a way that, that you can't even fathom uh, about how much he's proud of you, about how much he's got in store for me, uh, about how, how awesome he thinks you are. And so he establishes this, 
this fact that there's a void, but then he gives us this metaphor. He says, as the rain, as we carry on reading, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering and making the, uh, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. I love this because what God's doing is, first of all, he established the fact that there is a void between how I think and you think. Now, I'm, I'm, my ways are far higher than your ways. There's a void, but then he says, he gives us the metaphor, uh, and he says, as the rain. And so it's like, as his word comes down, he, he doesn't leave the void. He, does, he doesn't say, my ways are higher than your ways. I'm out. <laughs> you can't comprehend what I think. See you later. No, he, he doesn't sign the, the scripture off there, but he carry on, on to say, he says, but as, but as the, as the rain comes from heaven, he creates a way in which he goes, my ways are up here, but I've also created a way for my thoughts up here to connect down here, for my thoughts up here to come down here, for how I'm thinking, I've created a vessel and a way for what's going on in my mind to get in your mind. He says, like rain comes down, and waters the earth and makes everything flourish. And I love this, for seed for the sower and bread for the eater. Says what's up here is gonna come down here. And it's talking about that his word, because he goes on to say, so is my word, goes out from my mouth. But what I love about it is the word comes down, as his thoughts come down, as his words come down and encounters our life and connects with our life, he says, it produces seed for the sower and bread for the eater. When my words come down and connect with your life, it produces something. When my word comes down and connects with your life, it has the ability to produce something in your world so you can sow something, so you can feed on something. But it's only when my words come down do you have the ability to produce. The problem is I think sometimes we try and produce before we get the rain. Sometimes we're, we're out there just saying, I'm trying to produce stuff for God. I'm trying to do stuff for God. I'm trying to work for God. I'm trying to believe for God. I'm trying to be- and you're trying to, you're trying to find seed to sow and you're trying to find bread to, to eat on. But the problem is we don't sit under the rain and allow our soul to be nourished and allow the dry places to be, to be nourished in God and where seed can grow and bread can be formed. So we have something to produce. You see, the thing is when the word of God connects into your life and takes root in your life, it gives it just has the natural ability, it just does it. It will produce fruit in your life. When the seed, when the rain comes down, it will produce something in your life. But but the enemy also knows this, so he tries to snatch the word away before it has the ability to take root. I, I growing up, I, I grew up in a um uh, going to a youth ministry, uh, there's about 40 odd people there, and we used to run this camp, uh, like in the middle of nowhere, there's no suffering coverage or nothing, it was, like, it was a hard life, um, but, but we used to run this camp, and there's only about 40 of us there, so on the, probably in the big picture of things, it, it's not that 
didn't seem that significant, but I remember at 16 years old having a real significant moment there. Uh, it wasn't until later on I realized how significant that moment was, and the time I was kind of like, yeah. Uh, but, 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 but now I realize the significance of it. And I was standing there, um, as you do, um, and I was 16 years old, and the guy was just worshiping, and we had this guy coming and preach, no idea who he is. Um, but he came in, and, uh, and he's like prophesying over people. And now at 16 years old, one of the biggest things that I, I can understand about my life is I, I had a right life. I had a good life. It was, it was fine. Um, but with that came this idea of that I'm, I'm pretty ordinary. Like I'm just pretty ordinary at life. Like I'm just a pretty ordinary dude. Well, that's what I thought, I hoped. Uh, but, but I just pretty normal. And this guy comes in and he starts prophesying over people and he looks at me uh, and, and, and he starts prophesying over me. And one of the things, I, I found the CD a, a few years later, so that's where the significant moment came in. Uh, but he looks at me and he prophesies this. And I, and I, rem, I do remember it. He says, oh, one day I, 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 I see you taking teams of people into schools and bringing hope to a generation. And I'm 16 years old, and I think I'm pretty ordinary. So I legit, in my mind, are like, yeah, nah. Like, <laughs> like dude, like, nah. Uh, and so I was 16 years old because I, because I didn't think about myself the way God thought about me. I was still trying to connect his thoughts with my thoughts and let his thoughts wash clean my thoughts with his rain as it comes down. I, I kind of stood there and went, yeah, yeah, nah. But something in that moment did lodge in me to go, Oh, man, I'd love to do something good for God. I'd just love to do something good for God. And, and so I remember going home and, and, and a couple years later reading my scripture because that feeling just stayed with me. But there's also this idea and this concept that I'm pretty ordinary and pretty average. What could God actually do with me? Like I'm pretty good at building stuff. If you need something, build God, I can build something. Uh, but outside of that, I, I just felt like I didn't have much going on. And then I remember reading a scripture in Acts 4.13. Uh, and, and it talks about how it's talking about Peter and John, and, and it, it's talking about how the, 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 like the council at the time were viewing Peter and John. And they said, when they saw the courage, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and recognized that they were just unschooled, ordinary men, but they were astonished and took note that they had been with Jesus. And I remember God speaking to me in that moment, and it's a word that's carried me through for a long time that just said, if you would stick close to me, I can do something with your life. If you would just hold to me, I can astonish the world with what I can do. If you would just hold to me. But the reason that just kept me believing, and if, 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 if you don't get that's kind of what I get to do now is take teams through high schools throughout our nation. And, and it's a word that's come true, but really, uh, at a 16-year-old, I remember having no idea, no comprehension that it would ever happen. But, but being able to hold on to a word, being able to have a word in my spirit that I can grasp to and cling to, you got to understand what God has spoken into your life. He is faithful in completing it. What God has put in your world, He is faithful in bringing it about. The question is, we need a generation of believers that don't just live off soundbite to soundbite or, or, or Insta story to Insta story or just YouTube preacher to YouTube preacher, but a generation of Christians that still know what it is to get hold of the Word of God and say, if this is God's Word, then it's something I can cling to. It's something I can hold to. It's something I can trust on. And get a word in your spirit about what God's going to do. Get a word in your life. But we see, in, we see even, even with Adam and Eve, right at the beginning, see that I believe Satan knows the power 
of a word taking root in your life. I believe he knows this concept that if we would sit under the rain and let it bring nourishment to us, that it's gonna give us the ability to produce and to sow seed and to cast out bread for people to nourish on. I believe he knows if, if we enable the word of God to soak into us, then we would be fruitful and multiply. If we would enable the, the, the even in the dry spots of our life, just enable the word to kind of speak into us and have this ability to sit on the rain. I believe he knows it. And so even in Adam and Eve, right before the fall, right before they ate the apple, says in Genesis 3 verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other of the wild animals the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God really say that? Did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the middle of the garden? The first thing he comes to the lady and tries to undermine is the word that God spoke because he knows if he can dislodge the word, if he can displace the word, if he can cause you to doubt the word, it creates a, uh, an opening where he can sow a lie. If, if he can just kind of just bring a little bit of doubt to the word. He didn't try, the first tactic wasn't to discredit God. He didn't try and discredit the characteristic of God, the power of God, the ability of God. No, he let Eve believe in all of that. He let Eve just continue to believe in that. But what he did do is he said, if I can dislodge the word in her life that God has spoken, it will give me a platform to sow a lie, to derail what God has spoken. It was when he dislodged the lie. And when he dislodged the truth, he could sow a lie. And I think often God speaks words to us, but if we don't see it happen quick, or if we don't see it, it's so easy to kind of just put it to the back burner or just, well, maybe that wasn't God. Well, maybe, I, maybe God didn't speak about this because I don't quite understand what's going on. I remember, I remember what God once said to me in a moment, when he, when, and I remember believing so strongly in the word, but now, now it's been a while. Now it's been a bit hard. And, and so the enemy slowly over time has caused it to come in and start to dislodge the truth that God sowed. Because he knows if he can do that, then he can sow a lie. But that's why I love how Isaiah talks about the Word of God is like rain. And to know the ability to just sit in the rain and let the rain pour down on us. He doesn't say it's like a raindrop. There's times when God will give you a prophetic word that you need to hold on to. But I've also come to find even when God gives you a prophetic word to hold on to, he sends a whole rain of encouragement to keep it alive. He doesn't just say, here's one drop, hold on to it. No, he sends the rain. And the question is, how long are we spending just making time to soak in the rain, to allow the rain to take effect on our life, to allow the words, to, to allow his thoughts to come down to our thoughts. You see, if we're still, if, if the thoughts of God are for us to have a, a future to prosper us, to, to see us favored, to see us blessed. And, and, but yet in my thinking, uh, I still have thinking that says, no, I, I could never do that, or that's too beyond me, or, or that's not good enough, or maybe I'm not good enough for that. You see, you got to understand there's still a void in our thinking often. There's still a void in how we think about ourselves and how God thinks about us. But he says, I, I'm not going to leave that void there, but I'm going to give you the word, and the word's going to raise into your life and the more you let it seep in and soak in the more life that he can produce but the enemy wants to snatch it even a mark 
Even in Mark 4, verse 14, it says the, the farmer sows the word. Jesus just told a parable about how, how, how a farmer will scatter seed. And just Jesus explaining it to his disciples, he says, the farmer sows the word. Some people are like the seed along the path where the word has been sown. As soon as it hits their heart, Satan comes in and takes it away, the word that was sown. And he goes on to tell, but he, at the end of the, the parable talks about how, but if the, if the seed would take root, it would have the ability to produce and multiply. It's not just the words we, we hear, it's the words that we take on that have the power to produce fruit in your life. You can sit in church Sunday in, Sunday out. You can even flip through your Bible. You can, scripture of the day. What, what do you, and, and you gotta get the rain in you, but we can sit in these environments and still leave feeling dry. At times still feeling like I just don't have enough to produce. Because we're not letting the words seep in and speak and come into those dry spots. Often it's not, be, it's because sometimes it takes so long before we're humble enough to go before God. And there's a dry spot in my life, Jesus. But all I need is a word. There's a situation over here I'm believing for, but I haven't seen breakthrough in, but Jesus, all I need is a word. And if you'd give me the word, I'd have the faith to be able to push through. If you'd give me the word, and just a, wrap up tonight, I love in Matthew 10 verse 27 because this is when Jesus is sending his disciples out. He sent them out to go and do his work. I love what he says to them. He says, what I tell to you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. I love the fact that when the word of God comes to us in a whisper, it enables our life to have a sense of shout to it. Some scriptures say, shout it from the rooftops. What you hear in the whisper, shout it from the rooftops. I believe our lives should be lives that shout something about God. I believe our lives should be something that proclaims something about the goodness of God. I believe everywhere we go and the way we live and how we act and how we respond, there should be something about our life that just has a shout to it, that has a shout to it. But you can't shout if you haven't heard the whisper. You got nothing to shout. You can open your mouth. You can do the dance. You can look the part. You can do it all. But it doesn't have the sound. This first, not a whisper. A whisper in your spirit. I love the centurion man came before Jesus. He said, Ah, Jesus, I, I don't need you. I just need your word because I recognize in your word is the authority. I believe even in the room tonight, God's spoken words. And God wants to re-highlight the words he declared over you. The words you once held to. The, maybe it's for someone you're believing for. Maybe it's saying, and God's spoken, but it's been a while now. And so you're kind of like Noah, and it's kind of like year 50. And you're kind of like, what's going on? But it's such an important thing to stop and remember and proclaim and shout what Jesus whispered and shout what God has said and proclaim from the rooftops everything God's put inside of you. Because the Word, the Word has His power in it. The Word has His ability in it. 
it. His Word brings nourishment. His Word produces fruit. His Word brings about life. His Word, come on, His Word will produce a harvest in your world. There's a void. My ways in your ways. My thoughts in your thoughts. But it's the Word that connects what God's thinking about you to you. I wonder what God's thinking about you. Mona, your thoughts about yourself, the thoughts God has about you. Because if we got hold of the words He says about us, I believe there would be a shout that would come out of us. A shout that would make a difference. A shout that can produce a harvest. A shout that can change a situation. But it's the power of a word. And so tonight, can we just all stand to our feet? Really, to wrap this up, but it is Mother's Day, and so <laughs> better say something about my mom. But really, growing up as a kid, life, life, life was fine, but there's times where life didn't hand, or hand my mother the easiest situations. But one of the things I'm most thankful for is every morning, as a kid, I'd get up, and when we walk into the lounge, you just find mum in the rain. And so although, for some reason, if I look back, I'm like, yeah, those situations actually were not good. In the moment as a kid, it was like, no, life's actually pretty good. But that's only because there was a mother that knew what it was to sit in the rain and then declare the promise and so us as kids, I can only credit the fact that I even know Jesus. It's because there was someone in my life, my mother, that held on to a word. Said, although life's not throwing us the easiest, God, your promises. God, your promises, your promises. And every morning we just sit in the rain and allow the rain to bring nourishment back to the word, to bring life back to the word, bring nourishment back to Come on, right now in the room with eyes closed. Come on, you're in the room tonight. And there's areas in your life that you just feel like it's run dry. Like you just feel like it's become stale, like it's become hard, like it's become... And tonight you're just saying, I need the nourishment. I just need the rain again. Come on, I just need God to speak and flow and flood. I just need God to move. Come on, why don't you lift your hands towards Jesus. And I want to pray for you right now. God, I pray, Lord, over every dry situation, Lord, where it seems like the promise is dead, Lord, your word says your word will never return void. And so God, right now, Lord, we pray, even come and highlight, Jesus, highlight your word back in our lives. Come on, let's lift up Jesus. But allow him right now to speak. Allow him to download. Allow him to reign. Just, just while your hands are raised. 
I just feel like there's even anointing there for God to just remind you of what He's spoken. Remind you of the words He's promised. Come on, God, even right now, Lord, that you'd bring about the rain, you'd bring about the nourishment. Come on, there's words that have been declared that you kind of put on the back burner. But like the centurion man said, no, if all I've got is a word, I've got enough. Come on, the situation might not look like it right now, but if you've got a word, you've got enough. The situation might not seem that right right now, but if you've got a word, you've got a way through. If you've got a word, you've got a promise. If you've got a word, it's going to come to pass. If you've got a word, Jesus, right now, Lord, highlight. For some of you, God just wants to speak a new word. A new word. You can get through it. If I am for you, nothing can be against you. Be strong, be courageous. Jesus, speak right now. Lord, words bring life, bring rain, bring hope again. 